0: the weekend variety wireless with DockEdge Festival. Get a free program at DockEdge.nz.
1: Good evening. And a special hello to those listening on the podcast at your leisure. Or leisure. Ask Max what's the proper pronunciation. Well, we can make our own rules up. Max Cryer answering your questions on words, their origin and meaning on a Saturday evening, around about the 9.30 mark. There you go. Uh, The Documentary Edge Festival, it's a marvellous thing. It's beginning in Auckland. The Wellington season's underway already, but beginning in Auckland on the 23rd of May to the 4th of June. We have a double pass to anything you would like to go and see at all at the Documentary Edge Festival outside of the, what you would call, red carpet affairs. Don't be silly or greedy or creepy. And I'm going to spice this up just a little as well because I've just been having a walk around the office and uh, the promotion lady, uh, sh- she's away for a few days and I've seen by her desk a box with a whole lot of DVDs in it and I thought, oh, there might be something good in there. And there is. I've grabbed two because I want to watch one and I'm going to give one to you. Um, There are security cameras in the office. I don't know if I'll be back next weekend, uh, maybe in jail for stealing contraband. But here it is. I've been wanting to see this. It's called Loving Vincent. So on top of your double pass to the Documentary Edge Festival, I'm giving you a DVD. DVD. Loving Vincent, ethereal, unlike anything seen on screen before. The deal with it is that the whole movie is done like it's done by Mr. Painty Brush Guy with the ginger hair and the buggered up ear. It's like a movie made by Van Gogh I've heard it's kind of awesome, So I'll throw that in as well. As well, Here's the number, 0800 844 747, easy as that. 0800 844 747, no questions to be answered or hoops to go through. You pick whichever caller comes up, Sarah, online. Later on this hour, Jason Bonham. He's the son of John Bonham, the magnificent hurricane of a drummer with led zeppelin man he added his own feel to all that thing it's um it's a great chat actually jason recorded it earlier this week um, we'll be playing that later on memories of his father he was 14 when his dad dad died but he's uh, dedicated a lot of the rest of his life to keeping that music in his memory alive okay next up though we do go documentary edge festival and we're looking at let's talk about sex the director and the presenter of this new zealand made documentary the
0: weekend variety wireless with doc edge festival for details visit docedge.nz
1: at the documentary edge festival one of the new zealand things that's on show is let's talk about sex these things always kind of attract the eye you think oh how are they going to attack this it is by Julia Sloan and Lisa Bird both of whom are in the studio at the moment hi
2: hello there hi
1: <laughs> okay I'm just going to play you this is actually the outro of the movie but I think it's a fair summation
2: sex is good it's amazing should we maybe not be so judgmental think about all the secrets that some people try to keep Because they're worried about the stigma or talking about that. Wouldn't they feel so much more liberated if they could just talk about sex? Oh, I like that. I don't really like that. And not worry about being judged. Everyone would be so much happier.
1: Why did you want to make this movie? What was the impetus behind it?
2: What happened was um, Lisa and I worked together on Housewives. Mm -hmm. And there's one scene where I bought out the sex toys.
1: Mm.
2: (laughs) And it's like we were both amazed at the reactions from the other girls and and even the general public. I mean, oh, my goodness, she must need help in bed. Or, I mean, what's she doing that for? Mm. And so Lisa and I got talking. Then Lisa comes to me with this idea.
3: Yeah, I came up with the idea that perhaps it would be a really, really, really good idea to about that more
2: yeah and see what people's attitudes were around sex because we thought you know really do people honestly think that sex toys are such a bad thing in today's day and age are they really scared to talk about sex
1: yeah i'm kind of surprised at that uh, reaction from a lot of people maybe people just feel funny about talking sex with people that they're not having sex with or people that are not that close. It's more of an intimate thing to talk about.
2: No, but actually that's not right, Graham, entirely Mm -hmm. because a lot of people find difficulty in talking about sex within their own relationships. I mean, one of the people we spoke to, the sex therapist, was saying that she gets couples in and the woman would go, Ashley, you know what, I don't like that kissing. And her husband would go, But I've been doing it for 20 years. Why don't you you tell me? You know, people even find it difficult in their own you know, in their own relationships. And I think that's what we came out. We started out the documentary by just finding out how difficult people find it talking about sex. But, Mm. like, that common theme, it covers, first of all, you know, in your own relationship, talking about sex, what you like, what you don't like, what your desires are. Mm. Alisa, I mean, that's one thing. And then how to maybe spice up your sex life, because sex is important. And then the next thing that came out of it was our kids. I've got two teenage kids, and... Kids are learning by porn, and porn is a very bad educator. Now, if we could talk about sex and relationships in the real world, then can't stop the porn industry. You can't ban it; it's always going to be there.
1: Would you like to?
2: You can't. It's actually not even. um, I would like to ban the hardcore porn, absolutely. But I think if you know about relationships in the real world, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of soft porn in your own. Well, a, bedroom just up your sex life
3: maybe and it's called ethical porn actually there's
1: something what's, what's ethical porn just describe what you mean
2: so ethical porn is when there's a movement going on that people sort of send in more movies about their own relationships but that involve relationship-wise rather than just hardcore yes thank
3: you ma'am hardcore yeah, pumping or, or they may they make their own movies for themselves in an yeah. ethical way that's um
1: Can porn be made for public consumption? Is it unethical to do that?
2: Oh, in some ways, absolutely. And we're not here to really judge any one way. We're just putting out there what people are doing and letting you draw your own conclusions. But there's a great movement in the States that the porn therapist we spoke to was talking about. It's called Fight the Drug. He's realising you can't actually beat porn, but you can teach people what porn can do detrimentally to you, your relationship-wise, how it can rewire your brain, How it can lower your confidence, and by educating people about the bad sides of porn and talking about real relationships, that's what we can do about it.
1: What if two people just get really turned on by porn?
2: Fabulous for non-harming; it's consensual.
1: So they could consume that porn and watch it. Well,
2: as long as it's not, yeah, as long as it's not harming. Also, you've got to look at the people that are actually acting in the porn movies. Are they being taken advantage of? Probably. So I mean, and they possibly are in a lot of the cases. How would one tell? I think the main thing is actually just teaching, particularly the children, what is important in a proper relationship. We spoke to okay. Remember we spoke to that guy, Lisa, who watched a lot of porn, and his self-esteem was completely lowered because he thought, "Oh my gosh, my girlfriend's not enjoying it like the girl in the porn movie does. She doesn't quite feel the same as um, I'm, you know, what my hand does, you know, (laughs) things like that. It just gives the wrong idea."
1: Okay, the attitudes of your father—that was interesting. Seemed quite antiquated. He's not a young person. He doesn't think there should be a hero parade because it's shoving it down people's throats, this homosexuality business. That's a pretty rare attitude to come across these days, isn't it?
2: Actually, though, it's not for that generation. What we are forgetting is that the kids at schools these days, they've been teaching a lot about acceptance and tolerance, whereas in their generation it wasn't. Lisa showed it to her parents, and they
3: could relate completely, didn't they, Lisa? But she just said it was his his opinion and he should be allowed to, to have that.
1: I actually agree that he should be allowed to have his opinion. I don't think he should affect social policy.
2: The thing is it's about educating them as well. Like the school's are educating the youngsters and we're growing up in you know a different environment than they did but how is that generation being educated? Unless you talk about it, they don't have an understanding which from what I can gather from talking to so many people they don't understand really about the whole LGBT community at all.
1: Who, does who doesn't understand about that? Probably
2: the, like 60 and above, the older generation.
1: Oh, okay. Unless I mean, they are.
2: Exactly. Well, yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. But then the people that aren't, and they, I mean, religion was a lot stronger in those right. days than it is now. Right. And well, and in that, your family, yeah. And definitely in my family hmm. and a lot of families. And it's how do you educate that generation?
1: In the world of public discourse and in media and in polite society, that attitude does not pass muster these days. No, it doesn't. Oh. That's a victory.
2: It is, and we're doing extremely well. We've moved on hugely from those days, and there's still more to be done.
1: Now, regarding religion, it consolidates cultural taboos. It is generally unhealthy when it comes to sex, and in some societies, our Polynesian society is so much intertwined with religious groups. That's something I think it would have been nice to address in the movie. I'm not saying the movie's... You know, it's it's not ruined by it. It's just something I thought, because you were speaking with some Polynesian kids, I think, from some school or something. Did you bring that up and it didn't get to the documentary? Uh, we we yes.
2: spoke to probably an excess of 50 people and had to work out what to cut down the documentary to give it a very good idea of all the different themes running through it. Yeah. Ideally, it should be a series. You could do one episode on the whole gender identity, another episode on the sex workers, to give a whole balance on it. Felicia, for instance, the trans woman, she grew up in a religious family, and they were very judgmental towards her, so it's come out a bit in that.
3: Yeah, we we did have a great interview there, but I suddenly realised that she was younger than I thought, so we couldn't use that interview.
1: Ah, okay. So we th- we had that
3: covered. So that Yeah, was really and there
1: can be consequences as well. So I, really know. serious social consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I
3: called her. Within and was,
1: families and mm-hmm. churches.
3: Yeah, and we talked, and I was never going to push that one
1: no (laughs) okay good one there's another bit about basically saying god men are awful at sex they don't just want you know bang bang thank you ma'am um is that a stereotype it's not my lived experience and what about gay men no i think that just seems to
2: be some people's attitude about it and obviously they've had bad experiences because i can say i've met some wonderful lovers
1: (laughs) (laughs) my husband for one (laughs) good for you okay There are some attitudes in um, some wings of feminism that aren't sex positive with regards to men. Where do you stand?
2: Oh, I think men are very wonderful, wonderful sexual meat feelings. (laughs) No, definitely sex positive.
1: Do you have any opinions on those that aren't?
2: I just don't think they should be so judgmental. And Mm. that's the thing, opening your eyes and being less judgmental about people.
1: One of the interesting things about making a movie about sex is that it immediately, whether you like it or not not too much you can do about it, it immediately suffers from some degree from the very problems that it outlines. You end up tiptoeing just a little bit. feel you have to?
2: We do. We had some, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we lead the world in a lot of the legal framework, homosexual law reform, decriminalisation, the sex industry, same-sex marriage, etc. But society has not still had that buy-in. There's a lot of stigma attached to the sex industry.
1: It's so hard to... It, it, you're right. It is hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about right now. I don't find it difficult to talk about, but I keep in mind, my listeners, I don't want to talk about my sex life. I'm not going to ask you about yours. But as soon as somebody does that, sex is great when you're having it, but if there's someone that you're not attracted to or someone that's on the bloody radio all night, I'm not going to talk about my sex life because people <laughs> go, yuck. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. who wants to know about, you know... Now, that is a problem about talking about sex too, isn't it? No,
2: but we don't want people to talk about their own sex lives. I mean, that is completely private. It's more opening the lid on the different sexual practices or opening your minds a bit to what's out there oh, and yeah. just being more tolerant of things. Not not to go and talk about what you get up to in the bedroom. No, not around the
1: office anyway. Also, that can feed into or be, maybe be a reflection of a latent prudishness, I think, regarding our attitudes towards sex.
2: Or feeling they should be prudish.
1: You travelled in Italy? people are dry rooting on the side of the street for goodness sake
2: i worked in paris as a bond broker and as i walked down the dealing room the guys were like pinch my bottom whereas at um oh good god really oh but it it was lovely (laughs) but you know but then again when i worked and then i worked in london and they weren't even allowed to look at you there (laughs) it's like
1: so different at the attitudes. sex and lonely people I think it's a real problem that not many people talk about. You're talking about sex when people opening up about what they want and have a great sex life. A little alarm went off in the back of my head. I thought some lonely people who don't have sex and would really like to have sex would watch this and say, damn it, it's another effing documentary about them and not me.
3: Well, I think we talked about that with Mary at the fun house, and, and we covered that there are people out there that don't you know, necessarily have the intimacy that they would love. Yeah. And um, she had a good answer for that, didn't she? Mm. Yeah, there's people that can't
2: for emotional reasons or physical reasons. Or just um, can't find the right
1: person. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, unlucky.
2: Which is more common than not. <laughs> and then for them to be sort of scorned upon for paying for sex seemed a little bit unfair and... in some cases.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mary would be one of the most open... Now, we're talking Mary Brennan. uh, Mm -hmm. She's, for want of a better word, madam uh, brothel owner. 20 years, yeah. Did you learn anything from her very plainly positive idea about the sex industry?
2: Definitely um, a lot of misconceptions people have, particularly, you know, the people that she takes down into the, the dungeon who've got particular kinks or fetishes. As she says, you know... I'm not a healer because they're not sick. I'm just accommodating their particular kink or fetish. And a lot of wives actually send their, their partners to, or, or sort of men yeah. might <laughs> send their wives. Mm. Yeah.
1: One thing about sex, uh, the, 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 between lovers, you described that scene where someone said, oh, I've never liked all that kissing stuff. Oh, you've never said. The obverse of that, Some people don't ask for what they want because they're afraid. As Morrissey said, quite beautifully, if there's something you'd like to try, ask me. I'll not say no, how could I?
2: Kat from the sex, the adult shop, when we did the little look through there, she was saying, I just say to people that walk in the shop, try it, you might like it.
1: (laughs) Okay, one scene... In the documentary, you're talking with this person who's a, some sort of sex therapist. I don't know how, what, what exactly she does. Talking about you can have an orgasm here in your left toe. Uh, you can have an orgasm, an elbowgasm in your elbow. I went, yeah, right. You can have an orgasm in your
2: anus. You can have an orgasm in your elbow, even. Really? Really? You can have crygasms from crying. Our capacity... The pleasure is really limitless.
1: What's she on about you? What's What's the deal there?
3: Well, yeah, Ellie was an interesting person. She just
1: got picked. She was, she was actually yeah. our
3: first, my first person I called. Yeah. And um, really? Yeah, yeah. I picked up the phone and. Yeah, away we went. Okay. She's actually a very beautiful, lovely woman. And, and a very, oh, I'm sure she is. And really, really um, and has done a lot of practice. Um, well, not practice, as in a lot of study yeah. on this. You know, I don't know about the elbow, but, um, yeah, you know, I was i was really fascinated by her story. Very, very sex positive, and that's what this is about, really. Yeah. And it was
2: teaching people to become more in tune with their whole body.
3: And she, she has clients that are lonely, and she can r- work through aspects yeah. of their sex life and get into a better place
1: yeah have sex. to go and see a sex therapist it would take some doing wouldn't it because that's yeah. also part of that pri- it's private and yeah well we spoke with James
3: sex therapist um down in New Plymouth and she's just booked out I mean she's so so busy because people are wanting to make like, a change like a panel disease. beaters yeah, oh, my God, all walks
1: of life. Try and find a panel data. And she's
3: just had a big article done on her. You know, she's she's making some headway, so...
1: Well, that's um, going towards what you want to achieve, I could see, and that's... Yeah.
3: And, you know, she'll be coming to the event on, on the 30th, so if you need any tips... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. I'll start a list now. It'll take some time. Yeah. Lovely. So, yeah. Okay, thank you so much for coming in and talking about this. Uh, let's talk about sex is the documentary and it's on wellington 16th of may saturday the 19th and in auckland wednesday the 30th and thursday the 31st lisa bird uh, and julia sloan thank you very much for putting this together thanks
3: graham
4: thank you From doing all the things in life you'd like to So if there's something you'd like to try If there's something you'd like to try Ask me, I won't say, no, how could I? Coyness is nice and coyness can stop you From saying all the things in life you'd like to So if there's something you'd like to try If there's something you'd like to try
1: and that's a pretty thing, Uh, even subject matter aside. All righty. Next up, after the commercial break, Jason Bonham, son of Bonzo Bonham, John Bonham, drummer, Led Zeppelin, bringing his Led Zeppelin experience to New Zealand, and he doesn't take it lightly. He's worth a listen.
0: The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Enter online for a VIP experience.
1: Jason Bonham, the son of John Bonham, Bonzo Bonham, one of the most famous and lauded, rightly, uh, drummers in the rock oeuvre, drummer with Led Zeppelin. Uh, If you needed reminding, uh, here's an example. Black Dog. We speak with Jason Bonham, and I I leave in the dodgy bits at the beginning as well, because it just gives you a bit of a feel. But anyway, here's a bit of Led Zeppelin for you. go, Graham. You are on the line with Jason. Jason this is Graham Hill. Good day, Jason. Not the Graham Hill. Yeah. Oh, uh, the, the racing driver. He's he's dead. Yes. Uh, I realised as I opened my mouth,
0: I realised and put my foot in it as normal, whilst doing 112 miles an hour myself. I was like, oh dear, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> Hello, Graham Hill. I, I am uh, heading home from a race track where I've been racing my Mercedes.
1: Are you driving and talking? Oh,
0: I'm good at that, slow, like playing the drums, you know, all
1: four hands and everything move at different times. Okay, we're ripping into it then. The incredible sound of John Bonham and it's replicated in a thing called Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience and it's got a genetic link and that is Jason Bonham. Jason, I want to know a little bit about your dad from your perspective. He died at 32. You were 14. Yep. What was he like from your perspective, home life?
0: Uh, Home life, John, was the regular dad. When you don't know anything else when you're a kid growing up, dad just had some friends that would come over. Dad would be the one, when it was race day for me, I'd love to race dirt bikes, he would be the one to be up at 6.30 in the morning making the the bacon and egg sandwiches, doing the regular dad stuff. It's just that he was Bonzo as well, but I actually never got to see Bonzo. I only ever really got to see John, you know, dad. And it wasn't until much later in life that you realize that when you're on holiday and the people that you're sharing the villa with are members of the Beatles or Bee Gees or actors from Oliver Reed, Peter Sellers, they're all in all your, like, vacation snaps. (laughs) It's a little bit weird because I'm such a music fan now to look back at my life and people go, how did you cope? And I go, well, when you don't know any different, it's just that's dad and his drunk friends.
1: (laughs) When did you find out that your father was in Led Zeppelin?
0: I would say it was at Tampa Stadium, 77. And I remember asking him and they all started to laugh. I was 11 years old, and I and I went in the dressing room and said, Dad, who else is playing? They all went, what? I went, well, they're not all here to see you, surely. <laughs> and they went, yeah, that's just here to see us. Wow, what a rip-off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three songs in it got rained out, that concert. But I was there, I remember just thinking, why is everybody here to see my dad? So we I don't ever think I actually ever got to tell him while he was alive that, wow, my God, you're in their Everett. I was more of a teenager that went, Dad, check out Stuart Copeland from the police. He's better than you are. Gotcha. And, and, and I did say that. I did say that.
1: Well, that's what teenagers are but, supposed uh, to do.
0: Like a good dad. He, he, took, me, he, took, me, he took me to see them. Uh, bless him. He took me to see them. I got him into the, the police. He took me to see them and I got to meet them afterwards. So, so fair play.
1: He was uh, he was very impressed with Stuart Copeland, uh, very much so. Yeah, he's not a bad drummer. Then again, your dad makes it onto the top yep. five of most drum wish lists, if not the number one. Um, yeah. I just want to ask about your dad's death. Uh, he was 32. You would have been about 14. Yep. How did it affect you? Yeah. Oh, you know, as usual, as a 14-year-old
0: kid, I can go to that day, very memorable. Why is all the family arriving? Why is everybody crying? You know, why is my mom screaming? Oh, yeah, that, that day never leaves you. No. That day will, will never leave. Anybody that's lost somebody, uh, you know, what was on TV, from what people were wearing to where you were. I mean, I, I believe that fans tell me, the moment they heard where they were and it's uh, it's a bizarre thing that we share. I didn't just lose a father, the fans lost their drummer. But yeah, it was a, it was a tough one. You know, mum kind of checked out a little bit, yeah. which you, you would at 32. I kind of started to hang out more with Peter Grant's son, Warren. And uh, by 16, I was playing in bands and going on the road. It, it, it's weird, it didn't put me off it didn't put me off from being a party animal. Uh, I was just one of the fortunate ones that I got to 33 and then I stopped drinking and, and I'm still alive. So I stopped parking. It was like a mission to get past 33 and then I could say, wow, that's one thing I did longer than that. Yeah. Because I find it hard to believe that he's been gone for so long.
1: The manner of his death, was it a surprise, <laughs> basically drank a factory full of vodka at once. Yeah.
0: But if no more than kind of at the time if anything, at the time he was he looked amazing. He'd yeah. he the best he'd look for ages of the pictures of uh, and one of them I used the images in the show video. And you look at him and you go, That John Bonham there looks the best he'd ever looked. You know, he was trying to get his shit together to be honest, which is the truth. He was he was sorting himself out and, and trying to do it. So, sadly, you know, as boys do, at 32, I, I mean, I, I still think you feel like a child at 32. Uh, I'm 52 this year, and I still feel like a kid. But I think, you know, it's that thing. He, he, he had that one too many. He liked, you know, he was a rowdy guy. Quiet, but rowdy, if you know what I mean. He was quiet without booze. Very introvert, but when he had a drink, you know, the beast came out, as he say. You know, it's happened to uh, a few different people. I'm one of the fortunate ones that I, it, it could have happened to me. Many a time I've gotten myself into a state where I managed to... Um, somebody was watching over me, but, so I'm not opposed to people drinking. I just, for me now, I'm, I'm, I'm much better without it.
1: We're speaking with Jason Bonham. Of Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience, he carries the direct genetic link to John Bonzo Bonham from Led Zeppelin, and Grammy-winning
0: Led Zeppelin drummer. Uh huh. Okay. They've never got a Grammy when my dad was alive.
1: Oh right, right. Um, so many people put your dad in the top five drummers of all time, as I mentioned, and some other top five drummers put your dad yeah. ahead of themselves. You know, like Dave Grohl would rate your dad as the greatest rock drummer of oh. all time. He's not the Lone Ranger. What is it about your dad's drumming that makes it distinctive and special?
0: Um, his groove, his, his pocket, his, the, way he, the way he hit the drum, the way he tuned the drum, it was, somebody used to say to me, my dad could make the drums sound like his drums when he played My toy drums. Yeah. You knew it was John Bonham. It was just a, a finesse, a technique that he had. And funny you should say, Dave Grohl, I went to see the Food Fighters last week, and I've known Dave for a few years now, and he told a story on stage. He, he, he said, um, there's a guy on the side of the stage that I went to see, 30 years ago and I waited for four hours to meet him after the show and he goes, and I got to meet him, his name's Jason, he goes, when I met him 30 years ago, it was one of the biggest moments of my life and I'm on the side of the stage going, "Uh, I don't remember meeting him, so he tells like 18,000 people this story about first meeting me and then and got 18,000 people to sing to me. And his love, but like, you know, then afterwards we were talking. And we were just talking about, you know, drums and what he used to do. And, and I was playing him, like, little clips that I had of, of pictures and sending him stuff where he's got pictures of a dad with double kick drums, which is very rare. So, yeah, it was a big, like, geek John Bonham session. And, and Taylor was asking me about his, because his passion is with Roger Taylor from Queen. So I toured with Queen when I was 17, and so we were having this whole drum and nerd moment. it was it was, it was one of those moments like people go, "Are they really talking drums right now?"
1: You didn't audition for uh, the police or go and do well. You you've done your own stuff as well, but did you feel like it was on you at all to keep this legacy alive?
0: No, I mean, uh, to be honest, as I said, uh,
1: this is one band of the
0: four I play in, Um, so it was always like a side thing that I would just play for our own pleasure. It was that spiritual, get the lid out for ourselves kind of moment. But once we started doing it, and it became about the fans as much as anything else, I'd get. You know, I read, I run my own social media, uh, and I, I read everybody's comments, and it's like, literally, these, co- these concerts in New Zealand and in Australia was done through social media where somebody asked, why don't you ever come to New Zealand or Australia? Uh-huh. I answered, make me an offer. They replied, give me two weeks, and that's literally how it started, uh, and I, I'm just amazed that uh, we, we, you know, we're playing in the states, doing it in the states uh, uh, for a long time now. But actually, this will be the first time we've actually taken it to another country. So I'm I'm really excited. I just hope everybody feels the way, and I think they will because the Zeppelin fans are true. They'll get it. They'll feel the warmth. And it's um, my buddy who's quite critical. He came and he. And he He actually really loves the guitar player that we've got now because he pays homage so much to Jimmy that it's like, you know he's kind of playing Jimmy's stuff, but he's doing it with such precision and and, and finesse. You've got to take your hat off to a guy for for studying him that well. It's not like he's just blowing through the notes and, and doing it. It's being it, you know, it's almost, you've got to be it um, not pretend you know for that moment you're on there you you know you're not faking it you're actually you know every every one of us believes and tries to give that you know that show where it's we're not just going through the motions we're giving it
1: 110% yeah it is like a magic trick, isn't it? When you put that level of scholarship in it, it's like an illusion. I went and saw the bootleg Beatles with a big bag of cynicism, and I threw it out. I thought, oh, my God, these people really, you just blur your eyes a bit. You're there. It's unbelievable. And yeah. that's what you're after. It's that illusion of, you're a Led Zeppelin concert. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, there are ones that there's
0: other people out there that, that plays that the music as well and, and as I said too rightly there are a lot of great players I always say our way of doing it is we're not gonna we're not trying to dress up we don't do all the we don't use the trickery to, to make the illusion work oh yeah what we hope is the music yeah you know it's, it's purely the, the music even though I will say Mr. Jimmy uh, Jimmy Sakurai kind of even in when he's not in on stage it kind of looks like Jimmy, <laughs> so it's kind of weird for me when I look. I, I get this back. I go back to like when I'm playing with Jimmy, which has been 30 years. I was reminded yesterday, 30 years since I did the Outrider tour, which was the first big break. You know, that was a lot of fun. my like playing for Mr. Page in uh, in my early days. So um, yeah, I've got to give a big kudos to Mr. Page for supporting me and and uh, putting me out there right in the early days of
1: my career at 22. Yeah. Um, it's clear that you do have the blessing of Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. You've played with them. You know, th- there's no tension with, with what you're doing and those members that are still around of Led Zeppelin? No, it, there was a,
0: uh, Robert said to one of the, uh, uh, one of the fans that came to a, comes to all of the shows, really, when Robert's there, to, we were playing the same venue two nights later. And he goes, this is the way I do Led Zeppelin. He goes, if you want to hear it like it used to sound, it, uh, in the early days, go and see Jason's band. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which was great. I was like, well, thank you very much. But, you know, as I said, it's uh, um, we, we do this with the utmost respect and love uh, of, of the music. I said to Robert, if there's any way I could ever say thank you, this is what I do every night, is thank you. Yeah. For this music, when I play it, I mean, it's like I'm thanking. I never got a chance to thank him while he was alive, or yeah. well, all really them. And it wasn't until the O2 gig, when rehearsing with them, that I showed them and, and told them that how big of a fan I was, which kind of surprised them. a little. They were like, "Kind of, when did you get so weird?" And I said, "Do you know who you guys are?" I said, "Screw the talk about Lennon and McCartney." I said, "Page and Plant." Songwriting was as vital as Lennon and and McCartney was in rock and roll. Without a shadow of a doubt. And they were like, oh, my God. Who are you? you?" (laughs) I'm like, I got it too late, and I never got a chance to tell you guys. They said, so what song would you want to hear? And it was just me in a rehearsal room with them. I said, Tangerine. And they played it for me. Nobody else was there. Everybody was sent out. And we just did acoustically on a couch to me personally and that will stick with me for the rest of my life was To, to live with them as a, as a child, as, a, as your band, as your dad's bandmates, you know, work friends, to play with them in your early 20s and kind of take it for granted, to get a crack at the whip later on in life, when you really appreciate everything around you way more. I'm truly blessed, and, uh, and I, I say to them, I thank you for giving me the chance again to play with them. And uh, I always look at it like this. I'll never say it will never happen again, whether it be for a private event or not. But um, if the phone call went tomorrow, I love those guys so dearly uh, and the music that I, I would uh, I would drop everything for high, high heaven and, uh, and high water to get to them.
1: We're speaking with Jason Bonham okay. of uh, Led Zeppelin Experience. Is the drum solo extinct? I haven't heard of an original tune with a drum solo in it since, shit, I don't know. Um,
0: believe it or not, I'm not the greatest fan of drum solos. Um, (laughs) every time I do it, if you know, the reason, the reason I do it now is is it's because I never got chance. We only had the one drum kit at home, so I never got chance to play with dad only for him. There's an article, one of the guys who runs the website sent me and he says, your son, Jason plays drums. And he goes, my ambition, he goes, my dream is to to have him play side by side with me at the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. Little did I know that the first part of the drum solo that I do with him is from the Royal Albert Hall. Without even knowing, I'd fulfilled one of his mm. dreams mm. was to play alongside him at the Royal Albert Hall. And that was kind of weird. That was a freaky moment when I was sent that, that information because it was without even knowing... That was where we'd started, and uh, uh, it's a strange thing. Yeah. Uh, all those little moments that, uh, that happen for reasons, you know, and, and you go, oh, I, I used to be such a non, you know, it's a sign. It's a sign. And I, and I had to say to my, I'm a, such a skeptic. I said, every time you hear Led Zeppelin on the radio um, and you think it's a sign, wow, I live in America. There must be a lot of signs <laughs> because it's on all the time. Yeah, good one. I kind of go,
1: it's a sign, I need to buy another car, yes. (laughs) Pick a Led Zeppelin song that you would like as an exposition of Bonzo Bonham's work and tell us what to listen for.
0: Uh, Achilles Last Band uh, album Presence, the double single-stroke roll snare drum, snare drums and, and cymbals. He was getting into his double crash doing a lot of, you know, doing the, the... And hitting the cymbals with the, with the kick. And in Achilles, he does it in a... And he does this great... I think it's about a minute and a half in. Definitely, that to me, Achilles, the drumming on that is... Uh, and if you... The live version from Nedworth, there's a drum break. They actually made a drum break, uh, a little drum segment uh, at the end before he comes back into the...
4: Uh
0: So they do a drum break, so definitely check that out.
1: very much jason bonham and uh jason Bonham's lead section experience
0: the weekend variety wireless with dock edge festival new zealand's premier documentary film festival
1: i did need reminding uh, shamefully uh this week what a force of nature john bonham was on the drums quite amazing quite stunning New sport and weather coming up shortly and then a fresh outsider from Jared Hindmarsh. The story of an amazing individual, Tupia, a Tahitian who made the trip to New Zealand with uh, James Cook on the Endeavour, 1769. And what a bonus that was for James Cook and all aboard. And what an event culturally, uh, spiritually, however, however you want to uh, co- uh, use that word, uh, it was for the locals of New Zealand as well, the Maori people. Because ba- basically it's like someone coming from Hawaii and saying, oh, hello.